When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Seven fifty-five is real. David O'Brien, race writer at the Athletic, I'm with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty, and uh, big day night. Well, big day after a big night for the Bravos. What a nice day to have a day off in Miami, huh? That's how you dream of clinching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never plan on going too hard, but. You start drinking immediately after a game, the champagne, and I think it just turns into a long night. And to, to be able to just lay on the beach yeah. all day today, like these are gonna, guys are going to get to, they're probably all going to be at the pool. I mean, it's perfect. You can't draw it up any better. Yeah, I mean, there were so many reasons why clinching yesterday was so much more appealing. Yeah, I mean, especially knocking, doing it yeah. against a team that knocked you out. I mean, that's that's none of those one. was. Yeah, none of those more uh, attractive than beating the Phillies on their field after they upset the Braves a year ago. Everybody I talked to last night was talking about how good that felt. You know, not trying to put bulletin board material at all, uh, although AJ did kind of go with that, but uh, that's AJ's personality, you know, and God bless him. But, uh, you know, he said, come in, put a little fear into him, send a message. But uh, most of them were a little more subtle, but. Like even Alex Antopoulos talked about how nice, because he remembered exactly the feeling of sitting in Snit's office after that game four loss in the division series, after losing a couple of games up there to, to bow out unceremoniously and how bad it felt because the year before he had done his post-game media session after winning the World Series and there was no bad news. There was nothing bad to talk about. Yeah. It was the first time he'd ever experienced that. So just, you know, less than a year later, less than 12 months later, he's sitting in there in Snit's office, abruptly exiting in the first postseason series they lose to the Phillies, you know, who had won 12 or something fewer games during the season than the Braves did, or more than, I think they won 88, some of that. But uh, So to come back and do it there at their place, and that place was loud, too. It was only 32 or something thousand, but they were loud. Yeah, they. I mean, they definitely that that stadium. Anytime they're good, brings it. But I, I remember I that reliever. I can't remember his name that did the put him to sleep thing. Um, yeah, that type of stuff sticks with you. And you don't like you said you don't want to give them bulletin board material. But when you when you when something leaves that taste in your mouth, I mean, you definitely want to get them back. And it doesn't mean anything, you know. Honestly, I, I think it's it's great to win the division. But as everybody knows, it's like you start all over as soon as the playoffs start and anything can happen. Yeah, and they all have that proper perspective, the guys, because most of them have been around for two or three years, and and uh, they were here for last year. They were here when they won the World Series. So they got perspective. They know what it takes. And the ones that don't, I think, are surrounded by enough guys that do that they get the hint, too, or, they, or they're told directly or they hear people talking. So 
they just have the right perspective on this thing. They didn't they didn't not celebrate last night and try to make some statement by going, you know, we're not even gonna celebrate this. It means nothing. They celebrated. They had a good time. They did the champagne, the cigars, the beer. Not quite as wild as it was a year ago, though, for for good for obvious reasons. Because yeah. this year this year it's been two months we've known they're gonna win. Last year we didn't know they were gonna win until they swept the Mets in the literally the last week of the season, last weekend of the season. Yeah, last year was almost like the energy that you'd have after your first playoff win. Yeah. You know, your your first playoff series win, but it, it basically turned into almost a wild card win the way they had to chase it down and win it. You know, I noticed in my career it's this this type of thing's huge for young guys. Because you put all this stress into a season, you try your ass off, you work your ass off. That first time you get to spray champagne and jump around, it's like, oh, this is yeah. why we're doing it. And then the vets yeah. will tell you, you could tell they're more subdued, but the vets will tell you, they're like, it gets better each time. And yeah, I think it just, it gives guys that first reward and that feeling of celebration with their teammates that you, I mean, you, you don't, you rarely get. Yeah. Snit really put that in perspective too. And uh, had a great quote right along those lines. He said, uh, he said, uh, oh God, it was, you know, cause he said, Enjoy this. Enjoy every minute of it. Um, because when he gets to spring training, the first thing he tells the guys is the number one goal, win the division. And he calls it getting a seat at the table, you know, for the postseason. Yep. Well, they get the first seat at the table. He, As he said last night, now we're at the head of the table. But um, he said that uh, he wanted the guys to celebrate. And he said, you know, for us, every day is the same, same goal. That's what makes this team so good is the consistent. Oh, that was uh, Spencer's. Snit said, I'm trying to find that great quote, man, that he was talking about to the guys what he said. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. He said, they're all special. They're all really hard. And you should enjoy every time you get a chance to do this. Those guys should enjoy every minute of it. It's like I told him. Don't forget how this feels either, because this is really a really good feeling that your hard work is for something. They're so consistent yeah. to the ballpark every day and winning the day – that, that day's game, I never heard one guy talk about magic numbers, how many they're, they're ahead, all this or that, or, or if we were going bad or losing games in the standings, nothing. I never heard one guy talk about it. All I heard them talk about was getting to the ballpark and getting ready to play. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's the other reason to do it is you might not get to do it again. You know, if, if you skip that one to get in, there's upsets in the first round, and you they've had a hell of a season. So at least you guarantee yourself one chance to spray champagne. I, I think teams that I've seen teams. Um, it, well, I guess it's it's normally like the clinching the playoff berth that teams don't celebrate, right? If the they want to win nothing. the division, right? The Braves just had a champagne toast for that. You know, they acknowledged it. Champagne yeah. toast. Move on. Yeah, but you win a division, you get a chance to spray champagne. You do it because it's so much fun. And they didn't try to do it. Uh, and get off the field immediately too. They enjoyed it out there on the field. They, everybody was booing them, and they were like, "That's great." <laughs> that's perfect. Ronald was like yeah. egging them on. I mean, that's just who they yeah. are, man. Like we've talked about, Ronald just brand, he, his personality kind of filters out too, and the others get a little more bold because of it, or a little more confident, you know, because of it. I think, which is a good thing. Uh, the boos just don't hurt them at all. Doesn't bother them. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't know. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know a single player. I don't remember a single player that it bothered them getting booed on the road. Yeah. Cause you know what? I mean, like we talked about last episode, you know what it means, <laughs> you know, 
they, they don't boo you when you come into a game with seven ERA on the road and give up four. <laughs> They're booing you because you're good and you've beat them already. Yeah, I thought I thought uh, there were some there were several keys last night, but obviously them doing it it was so appropriate to do it the way they did. First inning, they're facing this this kid left hander who's really who's good. He's got a great arm, but this kid had to be he's good. He had to be thinking, holy hell, this is a whole another beast that I'm facing tonight because they come out hitting them 110 miles an hour off of him like boom, boom, boom. First three guys, Acuna lines out. I think yeah, first pitch of the game. You know, lines yeah. out the left, but he crushed it. If it goes 10 feet to the left or right, he's got a double or triple. Or if he gets it up in the air, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, then Albies follows with a hard hit double. And then Riley follows him with a two-run homer that was a shot. It wasn't up there where the only person I've seen hit one where he did at that ballpark was Gaddis. Gaddis hit one up to almost the exact same spot. And the estimate on Gaddis was about 30 feet longer than the one they gave Riley, which goes back to what we were talking about. That's so unreliable, these estimates, because Riley's was way more than 447 feet. Yeah, I mean, the fence is 405 or something like that, and you're telling me to only drop halfway to the pitcher's mound behind the fence? I mean, that's... Yeah, that ball was up on the concourse, man. It was up on the concourse. But it's funny, because I thought of that. I saw, I think you, you you posted something about it, Bowman did, but it was the exact thought I had. When I uh, when I saw that ball, it was like, oh man, I remember Gattis going up there. Yeah, yeah, that was where he hit it. Uh, One hundred ten seven off the bat. It was a one two ninety three eight sinker that he left over the middle and Riley destroyed it. So you're up two nothing with one out in the first inning, and this kid shell shocked. And to his credit, he really settled in and pitched a good game. But I thought it was actually really impressive and, and kind of scary to have on the Philly side. That, that yeah, change up he got a good yeah, yeah, it really is. He that tore the good. lefties up, throwing them change-ups. Yep. He gave up eight, eight his four runs, one walk, had ten strikeouts in seven and third innings. Yeah. Against a Braves team that's not striking out much at all lately. No, I mean, he's, they've been striking good. way down. Yeah. But Strider. Man, he really showed me something last night because he has totally dominated the Phillies team during the regular season. The numbers are off the charts. They're like the high, the best ERA ever against the Phillies for 130 years at least since 18 something, 1800 and something for any starter over six games. He's like seven and zero with a one. Oh, I put the numbers in there in my story, but one low ones ERA in eight games, seven starts against these guys. I mean, and then. They they knock him out in the third inning of that division series game when he's coming back from the oblique strain when he just faded. He was really good for two innings and then just faded, and they killed him. So to come back and face these guys in a clinch game on their field and them hit, he walks two of the first three guys, takes him 36 pitches to get through the first inning, six guys. Every guy went deep in the count. A couple of guys went eight, nine pitches. To him to settle in and throw seven innings after throwing 36 pitches in the first inning and not give up another run, I thought was really impressive, man. They, uh, It was three or four batters in every inning, including uh, three clean innings. Gives up uh, four hits, one run, two walks with nine strikeouts. You know what? Here's something amazing. He's made 28 starts this year. He's had nine or more strikeouts in 21 starts. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it even more amazing that after a 36-pitch first, 
he was able to get through seven because yeah, it's hard for him to have quick at bats. Yeah. You know, he gets so yeah. many swing and misses and his stuff's so nasty that yeah, you don't ever get that, you know, first pitch fastball pop up or one oh throw a fastball down the way and get a ground ball. He gets so many swing and misses that it's it's hard to have quick at bats. But I was listening to Smoltz and I agreed with him that that almost needs to be his focus is just going right after guys. Um, and it was almost like he was listening to the broadcast too, because after that first inning, he just started attacking them. You know, there wasn't a yeah. lot of trick pitches. He was just going right after them. And he, I mean, what did he throw, like 105 or 109 or something like that? 100, 110 pitches. So he threw 36 in, a first, 36 in a first inning, 74 in the next six innings. Yeah. And so that's, as a relief pitcher, when you're trying to figure out when I need to be stretching and getting ready, you look at 15 pitches an inning. So he burned an inning in that first, an inning and a half. Yeah. Because if you're at 15, you go through seven, it's 105. And that's what you're always watching in the pen. And I'm looking at that like, man, he's going to be lucky to get through five. Yeah. But to turn it around, I mean, start. I just, if I was him, I think my mindset would be, it's fine if I strike guys out, but I'm doing it on four pitches or less. Or, or less. And if if they wind up putting the ball in play, I give up some singles or some solo shots whatever but if he goes right after guys i mean with his stuff the odds are in his favor and he really cleaned it up yesterday that was impressive and those are the starts we're talking about you know kind of making those adjustments especially after that ball i think it was uh stott hit that slider down and in yeah that could that yeah. could have been a, a really pivotal moment in the game and he just i mean he just locked in and kept going yeah that was the that was the uh two out rbi single in the first inning yeah then he strikes out brandon marsh looking to end the inning get out without with a couple of runners on base and comes out to second inning, perfect pop up, fly out, strike out bottom of the order. Then top of the order in third inning, perfect again, pop up, line out, ground out. Um, and that's, you know, that's Schwarber, Turner, Harper. That top of the order is almost as good as the Braves. Not as good, but almost. I can't um, believe Schwarber has like an 850 OPS hit 199. I know. I know. It's it's He's got crazy numbers. His numbers don't make sense. No. Then in the fourth, he strikes out Bum looking to start the inning. He got a couple of calls. Um, strikes him out and um, and gets, gets only up a hit, gives a single to Marsh with two out in that inning. And then he's per- perfect in the third with a, a strikeout to end that, strikeout Schwarber to end that. Um, and then gives up just a single in the sixth, the two out single. So, he didn't give up anything after the first inning except a pair of two-out singles. That's it. In the next six innings. In the seventh inning, he gave up a one-out single. That's it. And two strikeouts in that seventh inning, his final inning. I thought it was cool. Snit let him go, too. Yeah. Snit said he was teetering in that first inning. And then he saw him, you know, when he, when he got after the single, he comes back, strikes him out. He was like, okay. Then he saw him, like, turn it around. He could see him. He could see him change. Uh, and he said he was teetering in that first inning. You know, he didn't know if he was going to get through it. But after that, he was so locked in. He said he got into a rhythm, and he was in one of those rhythms where it looks like he could probably pitch all night. His delivery was so smooth. Yeah, and I think you, I think a good manager lets a guy ride that feeling, you know, because if he's – yeah, he had to labor hard in the first, but then you had three or four zero-stress innings after that. So it's not like he's been grinding the whole outing. But let the guy ride that feeling of, of what it's like to have quick innings and cruise through them. I got to get this uh, this stat sheet out from uh, from last night. It's got 
Strider's numbers because they are crazy, man. His numbers against the Phillies. But so, and, and then on top of on top of Strider's terrific performance. Oh, here those here those numbers. Strider against the Phillies, man. I mean, this is not even. This sounds not even real. He's got a one five six ERA against them. He's seven and zero in eight games, including seven uh, eight games, including seven starts. Seven and zero, one five six ERA in regular season, and they're hitting like low one hundreds against them. The slash I had yesterday in the pregame was uh, going into the game yesterday. Phillies hitters were hitting one forty five against them with a four forty eight OPS. That's just crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but you know, but they had the upper hand. They felt like because what they did against him in the division series, and some were talking smack. I understand. So for him to come out and do that, especially after that first inning, just showed me what kind of balls that guy's got. And then, um, what do you mean some are talking smack? Um, I don't know if it was the Phillies players, if it was Phillies fans, but the word was you know they own him because of what they did in that division series. There's probably more fans. I can't imagine any of their players. They're, their players seem like a pretty good bunch of dudes. They don't really talk shit. So I mean, that's just yeah. You're not. I think players know better than yeah. They they know the numbers yeah, you just like talked that. about. Yeah, <laughs> we're not saying uh, we own this guy when you're hitting in the hundreds off him. And yeah, I'm sure it was social media crap. But um, the uh, so so the big thing last night we knew going in that they weren't going to have Iglesias available available. Tonkin available and probably not Jimenez, which the way that Jimenez is pitched lately, that was not necessarily a bad thing. And Iglesias, not saying the Phillies own him because it's just two games, but he gave up homers in back-to-back days there. And they were big, yeah. nine-kidding homers, big ones. So he wasn't available yesterday. So they get through seven. They're in a clinch game. It's a 4-1 game. They bring in Brad Hand. And he goes perfect eighth inning with two strikeouts. He strikes out Schwerber and Turner to start the eighth inning. Those breaking balls he threw Turner were disgusting. Yeah. And the biggest game he's pitched for the Braves, obviously. This guy has six ERA went for the the Rockies before they got him in the trade deadline. But we knew the stuff was still the same as it always been. And then they turned to Kirby Yates. And I got to give him credit, man, because I was among those who said, this guy's just not what he used to be, and you can't trust him in big innings and all that. Snit, his loyalty has no boundaries, man. He has stuck with him and worked him and worked him in big situations and was willing to, you know, give up a few innings where he was just bad. But he stuck. He kept going to him in big situations. And Yates last night comes through shining, man. And that ninth inning, Pop up, fly out, and then strikes out Marsh on a nine pitch at bat to end the game. Yeah, I think he had him struck out on the pitch before. Or I'm not sure yeah. if that was a couple nights ago, but he was really good in extras the other day too. Um, yeah, he was. I just, I, you know, uh, this is why for me, I think Snitch should get consideration for Manager of the Year. I mean, you look at all the shit that happened. I just, I always go back to the story Kelly Johnson tells about Bobby Cox, where. Kelly started off his career terrible, over or whatever, and Bobby just gave him that vote of confidence and kept sticking with him. And then he found it, yep. you know. And I think Never. Snit, he gets criticized a lot of times for bringing relievers in or, or putting them in situations right. that, okay, they may not give us the best chance to win today. Yeah. But he can, look, he can look down the road and say, if we get this guy right, he's got this value all season. Right. And 
I mean, it's, it's a, there's certain markets where you can't even do that. You know, I mean, there's markets like New York where I feel like you do those moves and you're getting grilled every single time where it's a lot harder to do, but he's stuck with it. And you just see like everybody that comes up on this team, everybody, everybody they pick up, there's just a confidence that he shows to them and that the teammates give them and the way guys get treated in Atlanta, the environment itself is just an environment guys thrive in. And I know he's won. I, I, you just, you don't get too much credit when you've won six straight divisions for being a great manager and everybody's looking at the team they have, but there's a lot of guys coming here that sucked other places. Yeah. Look at, no doubt. Look at Pierce Johnson, look at Brad hand, you know, they were struggling. They put them in this environment that snits built and look what they do. They've been awesome for the Braves. And I, and I talked to, I talked to Allison Doppels about the relationship he has with snit and how important that's been to this six division run. Um, and he called it a partnership, said it's a great partnership because we're obviously very different. I didn't use this yet, but I'm going to in a story. So we're very different, obviously, different backgrounds. They're different ages. He didn't mention that, but they're like 23 years, 22 years apart or something. I mean, Allison is 40, Smith's not closer to 70. Um, but they have this great relationship, mutual, tr- as Alex said, number one word, if you could use to describe the, the, what the strength of their relationship, trust. He totally trusts Ned. He said he's so genuine. That's why he gets along. That's why he's so good with players because he's so genuine with them. They, they really know that. They know he's being sincere. There's no pretense. He doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth. He doesn't lie. He, he should, doesn't sugarcoat things. He, and they, so there's that trust, that honesty. And Alex, you know, gives us the same thing to Snit. And as a result, that, you know, in the players that he acquires, he gives them to Snit. He lets Snit use them. If Snit did what you were talking about, some of these games early in the year when they when they lost a game and people questioned Snit's bullpen management because they're looking at that game and thinking he sacrificed the game or something, you can't do that. But Snit's always thinking big picture and, and all that. But the previous regime, John Coppola, but specifically John Hart, was president of baseball operations, would have gone in and reamed Snit's ass out for doing that if he hadn't already fired him. I don't think Snit, Snit wouldn't have lasted because he wouldn't have wanted to, to manage under those guys for this long anyway, if they didn't fire. Yeah. But they would have gone in and questioned whenever he did that in a game. Alex does not do that. He trusts Snit. Yeah, I'm sure they have discussions, but I oh, think yeah, Snit can back up. Day. I mean, he can he can legitimately back up all his decisions he makes. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like there's something about him that's so convincing there's never a moment and, and players can smell bullshit so fast yeah. and, oh, and word gets around. It's like, if you did something to a player, I mean, I hear about managers all over the league from players that were there three years ago. And then I watch the games and I'm like, that's why that team sucks. Cause you can see guys come in without confidence and you can see just how the team is playing for the guy. But when you interact with Snit, it's almost like, He's not afraid to get fired or lose his job. You know, I mean, he's answering to yeah. himself first and his character. And he's he's one of my favorite people I've ever been around in the game for that reason, because you know you're getting what you get every single day. Alex doesn't make all the road trips like a lot of GMs do. Uh, and he doesn't always come down to the clubhouse for home games like a lot of GMs do. He usually does. But he always talks to Snap after the game, whether it's on the phone or down in person. And you know what the difference is with uh, – the previous regime would make a show of, I don't know if they made a show, but they came in and walked into the clubhouse through the door in front of us after every game with the briefcase, go in and talk to Snit before we go in there. 
the difference is, and Alex talks to him after every game, sometimes we have to wait an extra like five minutes because he's talking to him on the phone or whatever. The difference is when we go in to talk to Snit, he's never in a pissy mood like he was, pissed off mood like he was sometimes after John Hart would go in there. In other words, he's talking to Alex and he's not coming away angry or, you know, wondering what the hell is he talking about? We go in there and yeah. it's like, you know, you can tell they just had a good discussion about what they're going to do, what moves they're going to make, personnel moves here, I'm doing this and doing that. But not, why did you do this? You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it, more than anything, I bet you it's just fair. <laughs> I bet you if he messes up or makes a bad move and, and, they're, and the discussion's fair, where he can yeah. give his reasoning and be understood, you know, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. And he's earned that trust, you know. He's earned that yeah. trust. Obviously, he gets the most out of his team, which most managers every year. can't say they do that every year. He does it every year. Every single year. I mean, people don't understand yeah. how hard it is to win a division title, not to mention repeat. Well, they've done it six years in a row. Their, re, their, their, their whole rebuild lasted like two or three years long or less time than anybody thought. They thought it was going to take like two more years. There's lasted only three years, four years tops. And then since Alex took over at the end, after the 2017 season, when, when copy got banned and Hart got pushed out of a job, Alex takes over and everybody thought, Oh man, the Braves are screwed for a few years. They're not going to have international free agents. They're on this probation and all this crap. They win the division the next year. They've won the division under every year under Alex Antopoulos. That's, that's some kind of record, man. Yeah, they just they got a good thing going. I mean, from the coaches, the manager, the, the, the you know, I I thought that losing Dansby and Freddie might change that vibe, but yeah, yeah, I think it's just so powerful, and I think it it obviously has to start with Snit because it, it would get doled down or beat up. But obviously, it's an extremely talented team. But how many teams you see go out and spend three hundred something million and not even make the playoffs? I mean, look at look oh. at San Diego, and this isn't, isn't a knock on anybody in San Diego, but look at what San Diego did. Look what the Mets did. Look at the money they spent and the talent they have. I mean, there's so much more yeah. to winning than just having the players, and I think he's that piece. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The top three payrolls this year are the Yankees, Mets, and Padres. Mets, in, yeah. not in that order. Mets obviously were the most. Top three, and none of them are going to make the playoffs. <coughs> yeah. And the Red Sox... <laughs> who were kind of held up as, excuse me, got a nut pistachio on it. You all right? The, the Red Sox, which were held up as kind of a model franchise for a while, they just fired their president today of uh, baseball operations, Heim, who was, you know, regarded as one of the whiz kids, you know, the, the, uh, the huge analytics geniuses and all that. They just fired him today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but um, that's just what happens. <laughs> Yeah, that's what happens. Nobody has the stability the Braves do. I was just watching this Red Sox game on MLB Network, and Dave O'Brien, the other Dave O'Brien, my namesake, we used to both cover the Marlins, as, as a matter of fact. The uh, 
who's his broadcast partner is a former player. And which you broadcast? Uh, it's not Millar Red now, Sox. is it? Huh? I've heard Millar on there. Um, no, no, it's the Red Sox, the, the regular other guy. I forget who it is, but it's, it's a former yeah. player. They I don't know. Said, I wish they put that on the screen because I listen to games and I hear these yeah, guys no. know what they're talking about. And five right. innings go by and I can't find who I'm listening to, but yeah. I like him. He's good. This but they were talking. They spent a whole inning talking about the Braves clinching last night and how the Braves are the former player. I forgot who it was. He goes, I mean, I'm just a guy talking. I'm a former player. But if you look at me, what the Bra- if you ask me what the Braves are doing is the way to do it. He's talking about how they have this great mix of young talent that they've signed up for long-term deals, throw in guys like Charlie, uh, Travis Darno, some older guys for that wisdom and that leadership. And then you've got this coaching staff, and they were talking about how some places are driven more by too much by analytics, and some players get caught up in it, and they're always thinking or overthinking. But he's talking about, and I've said this, we've talked about this, how the Braves have this great coaching staff, which is old guys, old former players who all played way before analytics, but who've embraced it at the right measurement, at the right degree. You know, they all use the Braves are really advanced in analytics as as one of the more advanced teams in analytics, but they don't let that rule everything. Like Salvasano loves analytics and, and uses it all the time with all his catches, with all his catchers and calling games and all that. They apply it. Everybody uses it, though, but you, you trust guys like Ron Washington, who's 70 years old, as old school as there is. You trust him to pass along those analytics to his players. You trust uh, Kevin Seitzer to pass along to his hitters. You don't have the analytics department guys who may, play, may have played college baseball, but most of the, a lot of them didn't even play it that far. You know? But they're, they're really smart guys. But you don't have those guys walk up directly to the hitters, to the infielders, to the pitchers, and tell them what they should be doing, why they should be using these analytics. You you, you let the coaches do that, and it's so much easier for those guys to embrace it when it when it's coming from somebody who's played the game and coached the game for so long. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that I want my advice from somebody that's done it. And I'm not saying they have to be a major leaguer, yeah. but if you're telling me how to throw a breaking ball or – how to transfer my weight and this and that, or if you're explaining to me how to be in the zone, or I want somebody that's been in the zone and knows what it feels like. I, I want somebody that's, that knows what it feels like to have no fucking clue what you're doing and how to fix it and has been lost in the game and understands yeah. how frustrating it is. And it's not a knock on, it's not saying the analytics guys, they don't have value, but for me personally, I don't want to learn how to fly a plane from somebody that's never been in the pilot seat. Yeah. You know, it's it's just so much harder to trust somebody that's never felt what you're feeling. Right. Right. And and I think and, and along those lines, too, I think it's also great when you have because a lot of uh, failed players who didn't get past like triple A are become some of the greatest managers or guys who were fringe players in the majors didn't last long, become some of the best managers. But you know what they do? They delegate. They, they're great at overseeing the operation and talking to players and because they know how hard it is. So they respect the players. Yeah. They don't make knee-jerk reaction decisions, pull a guy out of a game for striking out three times, you know, whatever. They understand how hard the game is because they failed themselves. But they are so good when they delegate duties and let the coaches coach. And Snit is a mastermind of that. He's so good at letting the coaches do their jobs. And him, he's, he's deferential. 
And he's and, and Alex also said this last night, humility. He said there's so much power in humility. Snit has humility. Oh, yeah. And it's just so refreshing and so uh, p- people that work under you or work for you, play for you, really, really respect that when you don't think you have all the answers and you know better than they do and all this. Well, there's nothing players hate more than somebody that forgot how hard the game is. Yeah. You know, like, and I can tell you every year I watch on TV, I was better in my own mind and the game was easier in my own head. But when you're out there, it's a lot different. I mean, even, even right now I can watch a game and I can read swings like crazy. I can tell you exactly what a hitter's trying to do, but on the mound, I couldn't do that because it was happening so much faster when you're out there and you throw the ball, you know, you're kind of trying to react and get ready for what they're doing. It's all that stuff is so much easier when you're just sitting on the couch watching or, or sitting on the bench watching, or you're in the dugout or making decisions or, you know, a guy needs to throw a slider for a strike right here. What, what kind of game plan needs to be, but the farther you get away from actually trying to do it, it, it's, it seems just that much easier and simple. And I think it, it definitely is easier for guys that struggled and didn't make it guys that got up to triple a, but even guys that played yeah. and it, it's just a matter of the players respect that so much when you respect their struggle and that it's not just easy to make adjustments and how hard the game is. And I think that's something Snit has never forgotten. There's other coaches, you get this vibe where you're just like, this guy's acting like he's a Hall of Famer, and we go look up his numbers. The dude hit two ten in Triple A. Right. Why is he talking to me like <laughs> yeah. I'm an idiot? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Brian asked if today started the divisional series, who you predict is in the pen? Well, it's so fungible. I hate to say that, you know, cop out, but things have changed so much, and I fully expect them to change again in the next two weeks. Because if you made the decision based on right now, which you got to do sometimes, go with a hot hand, a couple of the guys are kind of pitching their way out of it. And a couple of the guys are pitching their way into, or at least into high leverage spots, and the other guys pitching their way maybe out of high leverage spots. I'm not saying Rostello Iglesias isn't going to be the closer because he is. But, I mean, if he were to continue to struggle, they might they might at least consider, uh, you know, uh, trying somebody else in certain matchups. But right now, that's not going to change. That's not what your question is anyway. I think you're talking about the back end of it. But Dylan Lee's not going to be in it. They, they optioned him, um, or they actually they put him on the IL, which vetoed his option because he'd opt. Reversed his option, it was yeah. Really strange. Yeah, real, real, you don't see that. I mean, that doesn't happen. They optioned him, and then they put him on the IL instead with recurring inflammation in that shoulder. Never a good sign because he had a cortisone shot when he got sent down when he when he went on the IL and he spent three months on the IL comes back pitches a few times wasn't the same Dylan Lee goes back on the IL you know after they optioned him and you know you get optioned you don't get service time when you're down there and you just get optioned you yeah. do get service time when you're on the IL so that it led us to believe you know in the press box we're just talking you know we don't know this you know we could be wrong but that situation sound seemed like. It was a case where, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the agent said, my guy's hurt. You can't option him when he's hurt, you know, because why else would you do that? Why else would you veto an option? Because now he goes on, he goes on the IL. He's done for the year, obviously. But uh, he gets service time now. And he would not have got that if he was just optioned. Well, and if he's but anyway, still hurt next year, he gets service time next year, too. Exactly. 
Um, I, yeah. I was in a situation like that and did the opposite. And it's one of the biggest regrets of my career because it cost me a year of service time. But I mean, optics wise, it definitely looks bad as a player. It looks like you're making a, an excuse or you're faking an injury to get your service time. But in my personal situation, I hurt my back in spring training with the with the Mariners in 2008. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, I'm telling you, I was grinding to get out on the field. I knew I wasn't right, but it was also a different culture where young guys weren't supposed sure. to be hurt. So I kept sure. my mouth shut and tried to pitch through it. And I gave up like 600 runs in two innings. Then I got sent down and I didn't want to, I didn't want it to look like I was making an excuse for my performance or pulling that move. Cause you, you don't get respected in the clubhouse when you do it. And guys know right. which guys are doing it. And I, I don't think I'd earned the respect in the clubhouse to, for guys to give me the benefit of the doubt yet. So then I went down to AAA, kept trying to pitch my back kept getting worse and I wound up missing the rest of the season. And that's why I got put on waivers because of that decision. Um, so, I mean, it, it worked out long-term, but it still cost me about a year of service, which if I hit free agency a yeah. year earlier, if I would have hit free agency after 2012, I'm getting yeah. a three-year deal. Next year, I blow wow. out. Wow. So, I mean, those things kind of – I it's just if you are not 100% when you get sent down – it looks a little shitty business-wise on the player's, you know, character, but at the same time, yeah. sure. it, can, it can it can change a lot. So if yeah. he's, yeah, he pitched like he didn't pitch well, you know, and he's, yeah, you got to wonder why the guy isn't wasn't good, and he's obviously missed all this time with the shoulder. So it's realistic that it was still sure. bothering him. Oh, absolutely. You get sent down, you kind of accept it, and you go to the next day, and your shoulder's still sore, and you're like, I should be getting service time because I got hurt right. in the big leagues, right. Right, and 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 if 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 the agent says something, you know what? That's the agent's job. So it anyway. is his job because a lot of guys won't do it for themselves. Yeah, he's got to look out for the guy. But anyway, um, so he's not going to be on it. I mean, that, there's not going to be a change where he's ready. They're not going to trust him now to go in the postseason after you know going back on the aisle. Um, but that, and which makes the Brad Hand move look even so much better. I mean, good <laughs> lord, that was such a great trade. Yeah. To get that guy the trade deadline for you know what they gave up, because now he's crucial. I mean, because AJ is not really a situational lefty, and and you're going to use AJ in that setup role anyway. So to have another lefty was kind of it was it was critical to have another. You got to have two. You got to yeah. have two, not just two people that throw left-handed, but I think you got to have two left-handed studs for the playoffs. Joe Jimenez, man. I don't know how worried you are about him, but his last 13 appearances, because he had a couple of months where he was, uh, he pitched great. He was like unhittable. But the last, uh, after getting that his ERA down to 254 on July, on August 4th, his last 13 appearances, he's got a 617 ERA. He's given up 16 hits in 11 and two thirds innings, including five home runs. That The home run balls killed him. He's had 16 yeah. strikeouts and three walks in that span. Strikeouts are still there, not many walks. But he's given up a lot of hits and like five home runs is a lot for those uh, for eleven and two thirds innings. He gave up yeah. two homers in that game the other day that they won seven to six. It, you know they won despite him, not because of him. He gave up three runs and got one out. Yeah, in the eighth inning. Well, I mean he's got time. I'm not worried because I know somebody else will step up. But he's got time to he's got time to get back to the drawing board. And the good news for yeah. him is Snit's not going to shy away from him. Snit, right. Snit got to see what he can do for those couple months, and that's yep. the guy he wants to get him back to. So it goes right back to what we talked about. Yep. He's going to get his opportunities to clean it up and, and prove his spot where 
a lot of managers might just shy away from you. Then you're pitching once every six days, and one of those happens to be shitty, and you're like, well, I'm not on the playoff roster. You know, he's going to get his opportunity yeah. to clean it up. So he's just got to go back to the drawing board and figure out why, for those couple months, his fastball was beating guys to the spot, and now they're catching up to it. Robert, ask uh, you if, if it seems like he's trying to overpower hitters instead of hitting spots and changing speeds. Uh, I don't know, because he has a sneaky fastball. If you yeah. watch him when he's good, he's throwing 95, and it's it's beating him to the spot. You know, they're swinging under it. And then the last, you know, the last few outings, they're on top of it. And those, yeah. that's the puzzle that I don't miss. You know, yeah. I don't I don't miss figuring that out because it's it's always some tiny little thing you're doing different. Whether you're 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 lying to the plate, you're flying open a little bit, you're not staying closed long enough, your arm's just a little tired. But that that game of searching for the answer, I mean, it's it what makes it's what makes baseball so rewarding, but it's also exhausting, and I don't miss it at all. Um, I don't think he's. It's kind of like you got to recognize when you're not beating him, you know, by a couple swings, but that's the whole thing <laughs> sometimes as yeah. a reliever it's too late to figure out whether you have it that day or not you've already given up two homers and 10 pitches and then there's Rossell Iglesias man you talk about relieving being the toughest job in, in baseball because I mean it's just so up and down man with the it's his nature of the game now and and so many of the pitchers are throwing you know so hard all the time and it's just so much stress and those Rossell Iglesias Remember, he was the reliever of the month in the National League in uh, yeah. in uh, August. He had yeah. he had a, a stretch coming into September. He had gone seventeen innings without giving up a run, not not just an earned run, not a run. Seventeen innings, eight hits, five walks, twenty four strikeouts in seventeen innings. He had an op- opponent's OPS of three sixty two over seventeen appearances from July twentieth to August thirty first. I mean, he was the best reliever in baseball in that span, really. I mean, numbers-wise. So then look what he's done in September. He's pitched, he's made, what, five five appearances, given up nine hits in five innings, five earned runs, six runs, five earned, two walks, three strikeouts, two home runs. Back-to-back game, back-to-back days, home runs. First game of a doubleheader, and then the next day, uh, home runs in uh, – in, uh, in in Philly, in games they still won, you know, won almost 10 innings. But he did that in the ninth inning of those two games, gave up two runs in one, one in the other, and a home run in each of them. You know, I it's not fair, but I always think what happens if Ozzy makes that play. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and he should Absolutely should have. And so you're so, out of that one. Your confidence is kind of there. The next day, do you right, give it up or not? Was, yeah, the two-run homer was right after that, like next pitch. The next pitch, yeah, yeah, Bryce. That's it's a hard game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's right, that's right. So I should throw, I should dismiss that one really because he got a ground ball. It was routine, really. It was just Trey Turner running, and Ozzy freaked out a little bit. I think and felt like he had to rush it more than he did. It was an awkward play, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, look, you don't you don't get to make excuses. You have to make a pitch to the next guy. But it's yeah. just it's baseball's crazy how. Yeah, you give a team a little bit of breathing room, and Bryce Harper's on deck. All of a sudden, the game's tied. Yeah, I think and more than Bryce anything, Harper. though, with Iglesias, it's when he has that changeup because he was putting a lot of guys away with that changeup. And when he's gone to it, the last two or three times I've watched him pitch, he's missing wide with it. You know, away a, a to a lefty where it's not even a 
it's not even serving a purpose because he's missing pretty far outside. But yeah. when he's locked in and he's throwing that changeup for a strike, that thing's dirty, and he has two other pitches that are really good too. He can go to. Yeah, and and then to have that's that's the nightmare. That's not the guy, you know, that guy, Freddie Freeman, but Matt Olson weighs in right now. Those are not the guys you want coming up in that spot. I mean, Bryce Harper, as much as anybody, has a penchant for those huge situations, home crowd, and he did what he did. So well, and that stadium's just built for him. Yeah, you know yeah. he has like he has so much power in left there, center. Know. It's a yeah. tiny part. Yeah, you don't have a guy coming up that you can just blow, you know, strike out because he's trying to. He gets out of his plan, trying to hit out of hit ball six hundred no. feet. No, you oh. can just sit back on the fastball and let it get deep and hit it out to left with a, you know, seventy yeah. percent swing there. And meanwhile, while those two guys are struggling, look at some of these other guys how they're stepping up in a pin now. AJ Mentor, it's kind of the opposite of the Glacius. Well, the Glacius with the tough luck the other day. AJ Mentor was having that early in the season when his numbers were bad, but they were a lot worse because of the bad luck. His, the uh, batting average on balls in play was like 400 or something. It was crazy. It was, so he was getting tough luck, plus he was getting some balls. He was giving up a lot of hits, and he was the first to admit that. But it was really uh, the bad luck made it look even worse when his ERA was like seven. AJ Mentor, man. Oh, it's funny, by the way. We're watching. We're in the clubhouse. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday, and AJ's sitting in a sofa looking at the overhead TV, and Pilar's sitting over there to his locker, about ten feet away, and Brian Kenny is talking to Mad Dog Russo on MLB Network, and Russo's talking about how the Braves bullpen is a little bit of a concern to him, and they don't like they're, he doesn't trust their closer Iglesias, and uh, and Kenny's going. Yeah, it's, it's, that's 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 mad dog. He's like dog. That's that's rampant around the league. There's it's a, it's fa- there's a lot of failure. A lot of really good relievers go through failure, I and mean, this just happens. Look at some of these guys. He said, "Look at Mentor. Look at Mentor. He was terrible early, and he's great right now. Look how well he's pitching." And Mentor, <laughs> I'm watching Mentor watch this. And Pilar kind of goes, "Hey, you can't talk about my boy like that." And Mentor's just watching that. And Mentor goes, "I wasn't terrible. I was atrocious." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I don't funny. think anybody's more honest with themselves than relief pitchers. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, you know when you suck. But Mentor, his last twenty-five appearances, going back to June twenty-eighth, this dude he's given up eighteen hits, three earned runs, seven walks, twenty-seven strikeouts. He's got a one-two-three ERA, six thirty-seven opponents average, two eighty-seven OBP, two twenty-five. I mean. He's getting it done, man. He's getting it done. The team in those twenty-five games, team is twenty-two and three. Yeah, he's. I mean, I, I don't ever. I've come to accept watching him that he's going to go through some spells, but he's always going to come back. I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of guys that start off the career, their career the way he did and have gotten sent down deep into yeah. it and come come back every single time. I mean, he's going to go through his funks, but he's going to get out of them. And when he gets out of it, he does what he's doing right now. The way he did it in the World Series season was phenomenal. Goes down for a month, gets sent to AAA, and comes back, and he's one of the three key relievers in the World Series run. Yeah. They. Uh, so yeah, he's uh, he has rounded back into that his postseason form, and he's so full of confidence. And he's throwing in that period, by the way, sixty six percent strikes. Yeah, I mean, and that's huge for him. 
I also thought, I thought his breaking balls looked like it had more depth to it. Like it's got a little more drop, you know, not so much side to side. Yeah. Uh, Pierce Johnson, they get him from the, they get him from the Rockies at the trade deadline. Since they got him on July 26th with the Braves, he's made 19 appearances. He's got 27 strikeouts with four walks and 18 and a third innings. He's got an 0.49 ERA. The guy's given up one earned run, 197 opponents average, 561 opponents OPS. He has moved into one of the key high leverage positions now. He's earned it. Yeah. His his breaking ball is legit. Oh, that slider? Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's it's kind of like we talked about with Denver. You know, I mean, you got two guys. Yeah. And I don't know if this was the thought that went into it. I, I would assume it was. But you got two guys that have – they're yeah. known for their breaking balls. They go to Denver right. and struggle. It's like, hey, maybe we should take a flyer on this and see if right. the ball starts doing what it's supposed to again, if we can get them out of there. And that's where the Braves are really good in their analytics because they trust their analytics guys to find these guys that that, that they see some hitter. He might be hitting 200. Remember they got uh, the dude last year they got who's now with the Rangers, Rob uh, Robbie uh, – what's his name, the last name? Robbie the outfielder. Grossman. Came in. Uh, yeah, Robbie Grossman was having a terrible year with the Tigers. The Braves analytics people saw something in his swing what that he was, and it got him fit so fast over here. And he was a big piece for the Braves down a stretch last year. And trying to turn his career around. So, um, But they've done that with several pitchers, man, that they picked up. Kirby Yates, they, you know, they, they signed to that two-year deal, which was basically the throwaway last year because they knew he wasn't going to be ready until this year, really. And yeah. now he's given them what they paid for. His last 19 appearances, because like I said, I didn't trust him at all. I thought he's not going to get back to, 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 to where you can trust him in high leverage. Last 19 appearances, the guy's pitched 18 and a third innings. He's given up five hits. The walks are the thing that drives people crazy. But you know what? He gets out of those jams because he's getting 12 walks in that span, but 24 strikeouts and only five hits, one home run. So he's got an 0.98 ERA in that span. An 088 opponent's batting average in those 19 games and a 408 opponent's OPS. Yeah, I think he's got a fastball that plays up a little bit and he's got that low uh, arm angle where it stays on plane. Yeah. And then he's got that split. And I think if you ask any hitter, the most devastating pitch in the game is is a good, like just a nasty split or, you know, a change up off of it. But hitters can kind of play the fade and see the break and stick with a with a breaking ball, you know, and, and see it and catch the break, uh, unless it's Charlie's. But when you have a yeah. split that comes out just yeah. like a heater, um, that back and forth is just devastating for hitters' timing. Jeremy P says, feels like Strider is the X factor on whether the Braves take this thing all the way. Uh, I don't right. disagree with that. When yeah, he's fair. on, he is the nastiest starting pitcher in baseball, period. End of story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfair weight to put on him, but yep. if he happens to be the guy that you know he can be in the playoffs, I mean, you're almost able to book two wins every series. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just, he's just so good when he's on, man. I can't His think of another starter that is capable the, of the way he yeah. can. Like DeGrom. Yeah when, he's, yeah, when he's throwing 97-98, yeah, he is DeGrom. He really is. Yeah. He, he is, we, I didn't think we were going to see another DeGrom anytime soon. 
but he is as good as DeGrom when he's on. When he's on, he's absolutely, you know, he's got no hit stuff when he goes out there every time. It's like the year I saw Kevin Brown have it, 2000 uh, or 1996. Every time he went out there, you felt like he had no hit stuff, just like DeGrom. But you knew DeGrom was not going to get nearly deep enough in games, you know? Right. Right. And that's, might get I don't close. Know. He could get close. I don't, I don't know if, if every time he goes out there, I feel like he might strike out 20. Exactly. Exactly. I always think he's going to get 16 like he did that time against the Rockies because he'll get like, because yeah. he's liable to get eight in the first three innings at any given night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And make hitters just look foolish. Really good hitters. Yeah. As well, he just has a pitch that doesn't, I mean, it shouldn't exist. You know, you, <laughs> you shouldn't be able to throw a 99 invisible ball with eight feet of extension uphill. Right. Right down the middle. There's no way to prepare for it. It's like it <laughs> deceives. It kind of, it's like, I told you about when I asked Mark, uh, Raul Ibanez why they don't just sit cutter. And he looked at me like I was a child. You know, like, <laughs> We're all sitting cutter, asshole. Our yeah. eyes are just playing tricks on us. We go to swing and the ball's not where it looked yeah. like it was going to be. You know, And I think that's, that's kind of the trajectory of his fastball. The players talk about a fastball having hop on it and you got to swing right. up above it. But I just think their eyes lie to them how, yeah. how, you know, how much that ball is going to climb. And how fast it is. Yeah. It just doesn't come down like other guys do at that angle that they're so used to seeing. You know, he's, he's releasing it from such a lower release point and so far out from the, from the bump because his uh, from the rubber because of that extension he gets. Yeah. With those crazy thought quadriceps. Jesus, man. He's a, he's a beast. He really is. Yeah. Man, so needless sharp. to say, that's, that's a fair statement that <laughs> if he, a lot yeah, of it's going to hinge on him because he's that big of a difference maker. Yeah. And on the other hand, if he has a couple of bad starts like he just had in the playoffs, it could really sink him because they're going to have to go to the bullpen early and he's yeah. not going to give them, you know, he's not going to give them the chance to, to win like he does when he's on. Yeah. And that's, I, mean, I think that's on. really the one area he can improve is just stopping the bleeding. Yeah. And maybe that's, that's why we both agree with that statement so much too, is that when you think of him being bad, you think of, you don't think of when Charlie's bad or when Max is bad and they get through six and give up three or four, you're thinking five runs in two innings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he gets a little frustrated, walks some guys and yeah, it's just a, uh, it gets ugly in a hurry. So, but then last night, you know, he showed what he can do. He walks two of the first three guys, get in trouble in the first inning, gets locked in and boom, Phil's got no chance against him. Yeah. No, if he's, if he's locked in, I don't, you could throw nine steroided up Barry Bonds and he's still yeah. probably going to have a good game. And that and and right now that Phillies team was as hot as hitting team as anybody coming in. And Trey Turner and Matt Olson are the two hottest hitters in baseball. And Trey yeah. Turner couldn't do anything against them either. So Turner's I think over um, off him in his career. Uh, Strider seemed to have figured something. Uh, you'll see. Uh, I can't help but think that. Uh, okay, we got. Let's go down a little further here. With Andrews number twenty five retired last week, who do you think is the next Brave that will have their number put in the rafters? Um, well, the current guys, there'd be a long time, but, um, I think they'll retire Freddy's. Yeah. I think, I think they'll retire Freddy's. Yeah. Um, I honestly think they should seriously consider retiring Brian McCann's number. I don't know if they're even thinking about it. I I I really do. He should at least go in the hall of fame because that's what happened with Andrew. He went in the hall of fame a few years ago. And they retired his jersey, I think, in part because he's getting so close to going in the real Hall of Fame, the big one. 
uh, yeah, I, B-Mac. I think that the, the best way to look at it is that when you look at somebody else wearing that number, if it feels wrong. I mean, you go back and look at people forget how, how BMAC was the best hitting catcher in the National League for five years yeah. <laughs> straight. I mean, people forget how many Silver Slugger awards he won. Nobody had done that. Even Hank Aaron hadn't done that at the start of his career. As many uh, uh, All-Stars and uh, Silver Slugger as, as uh, BMAC did at the start of his career. Yeah, and everything about his character. I mean, I think you retire yeah. a guy's number for that just as much. I mean, he is what it meant to be a Brave. As far as when yeah. I came over, he represented everything good about that place. Yeah, I mean, down the line, you're looking down the line, it's too early to speculate, but obviously Acuna's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and, and, and if he stays with the Braves 10 years of his whole career, I mean, his whole contract, and, and they'd be crazy not to, he'll have his retired because he's going to the Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, guys like Strider, obviously Strider's on a Hall of Fame path, but he's got to stay healthy and do it year after year. Uh, Ozzy. Ozzy is having a is is having that kind of career. If he just stays, Matt Olson obviously he signed to this huge long deal. I mean, Matt Olson, we can't overstate what Matt Olson is the best home runner hitter in baseball right now. I know you're going to say Aaron Judge had you know the record last year, but Aaron Judge look what he's doing this year. Matt Olson is consistently he stays healthy, he plays every day, and he hits bombs. He might go through a two week dry spell. But then he just hits so many that you look at his numbers. He's got the most homers, I think, uh, since 2018 in baseball. I think uh, Alonzo might be the only one with more since 2019. Yeah, I mean, you can look at all these long, (laughs) cheap deals they got and make a case for pretty much every guy. Yeah, yeah, Austin Riley, right, right. So we'll see. They got several candidates. But, man, Matt Olson, what he's doing right now, I was talking about this with Bowman yesterday. I don't recall a guy. I know Freddie is really good at covering the whole plate, high and low. But Matt Olson can do that and hit the ball out to any part of ballpark. He golfs that ball out the other day that's three inches below the strike zone and two inches inside the strike zone. And he drops the bat on it and, and golfs it out at 104 miles an hour. Then he, the same game, he hits the ball up and, up and away for an opposite field homer. I mean, yeah, and those opposite balls with Freddie are doubles. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he sneaks them out sometimes, but stop. but Matt puts them. <laughs> he could put them twenty rows deep the other way. He hits some balls to center field too that I feel like he misses, and then they just keep going. I told him what you had said because it's what Pollock told me too that he's got so much explosiveness in that bat that it looks like it just explodes. The ball explodes off the bat, and I. You know, when he's making like an easy swing like Chipper did, especially late in his career, he'd make it look, look like an easy swing and the ball would explode. He had that backspin. Chipper had that backspin. It was crazy. Yeah. And I told Olsen what you had said and what Pollock had said, and he goes, when I'm at my best, that's what it looks like. He goes, that's what I look like when I'm at my best, so that the ball explodes off the bat. And it's bad. Yeah, it's not- like everything just clicks and works together and happens yeah. at the same time. And he's got those hands down lower this year, and they make that adjustment. And the strikeouts have gone way down. And when he's cut down the strikeouts, the home runs follow and the hits follow, man. Because this guy, he puts it in play, hits it hard. He's been yeah. become, I mean, he's become, the season he's having would, would, would win MVP at least half the time, if not more, he, most years. He's definitely one of those guys that the more you watch him, the more you appreciate him. Yeah, I mean, people said, you know, yeah, he's not Freddie Freeman, but he's the best replacement they could have in all this, which is true. But 
I don't know about the he's not Freddie Freeman part anymore because okay, what do you want? <laughs> Freddie is Freddie might be the best pure hitter in the game, but yep. I mean Freddie's hitting crazy this year, three thirty seven with a nine ninety OPS, and Freddie just set the Dodgers record for doubles, right? Yeah, he got like sixty doubles. Well, what with home runs though, Olsen's got literally twice as many home runs as Freddie. Does he really? Yeah. <laughs> Freddie's, Freddie's got, let's look. Uh, this thing's not cooperating here. Freddie's got like 26. And the well, thing that jumps out, really, um, the thing that really jumps out to me is RBIs because we always think of Freddie as such a great hitter with runners in scoring position, and he's hitting behind Mookie, you know. And he's doing fine. He's got 93 RBIs. Um, he's 14th in, in the majors in RBIs. Well, Olsen's got 128 RBIs. He's got 35 more RBIs than Freddie. 35. Yeah, that's a lot. Freddie's got... Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I have a hard time with the with the discussion in general because of my respect for Freddie, but the move's not looking too bad. Twenty six home runs to fifty one home runs. Yeah, Freddie, Freddie's got twenty six. OPS is nine ninety for Freddie, nine ninety nine for Olson. So, you know, they're a little anyway. different, but they're both. Yeah, I mean, I don't They're think any team would have a problem taking either one of them. I'd take either one of them over Pete Alonso, who's going to get the biggest deal because he's coming along at the right time for free agents. I'd take either one of them over him. And yeah, he's damn too. good. He's scary, but I'd take those Freddie and Freddie and, and Matt Olson are the best too. In my yeah. opinion. And Olson's yeah, home runs are just going up as he gets older. He just figured it out, and uh, I mean, there's no reason to think this guy's not going to be a 40 home run hitter every year. Oh, I mean, I can't tell you how many balls you hit at night in Oakland or as a pitcher give up that you know should have got out, and they just die at that track. Something about that air over there, you know, at night, some yeah. green layer. Yeah, I've heard the night. science behind it or whatever. I don't care. But the bottom line, the ball does not fly at night in Oakland. Yeah, it doesn't fly well in San Francisco either. Same thing, that Bay Area, that heavy air on the water. Um, yeah. And speaking, and speaking of uh, on the record path, plus, uh, with a, his next home run is going to beat Andrew's record. His next one. He's got 51. Tied Andrew's record. Um, he's going to lead the majors in, in home runs and RBIs. The Braves haven't had anybody do that since uh, Andrew led in home runs that year. And then you got to go back what, further for RBIs, but maybe Eddie Matthews. He's going to do both this year. But then you look at Acuna, and he's going to – He's three homers become, but from becoming the fifth ever 40-40 guy. But I think it's kind of silly to even call him a 40-40 guy because he's going to be 40-70. So who cares yeah, he's, about 40-40? He's, he's blowing away. It's a 1-1. One, one. <laughs> it's a one-of-one one season. Yeah, he needs, he needs three home runs and four stolen bases to become 40-70. That's just insane, I think he's going to get it. 
You know, I mean, earlier in the month, but we've talked about it. He's been hot all year, but he hasn't been hot home run wise. He's kind of just, it's been like five or six a month. Yeah. And then. And he just got hot home run wise. Yeah. And I think he'll get those three. It's, I don't think he'll be and he afraid kills to the Marlins. cut him loose. <laughs> he kills the Marlins. Yeah. And he's played all one. He's played every game so far. So I don't think Snit's going to rest. If you rest him, it'll be the D, it'll let him DH. So I think he's still going to get his ABs down there. Yeah, and I, 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 mean, I would argue that he's the type of thing when you off, have the division in the bag too that you go ahead and let a guy have that three zero green light the rest of the year. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> I'm just the saying, green light all the time. It, you go ahead and tell him like, hey, we're, we're not going to be mad at you if you fall down swinging a few times if you want to try to get this thing. You have earned it. Yeah. Yeah, man, he's gonna have he's gonna have historic season. And meanwhile, oh, he's hitting three thirty five. It's insane. <laughs> he's hitting three thirty five with a thousand two OPS. I really think he's gonna beat out Betts. And I know Matt Mookie's got the considerable advantage in WAR, but I just don't think people are going to weigh it that much. They know what Acuna's done, the impact he's had. He's on the highlight shows all the time. You know, it helps when you flamboyant on top of being great. Uh, and I think it's just going to be in the minds of a lot of voters what he's done for the best team in baseball. He sets he, as a who was it told me the other day as he goes we go, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it, I, I guess it's tough because Mookie's the same way for the Dodgers, but there's just there's something about having a guy that can steal seventy bags and hit a ball five hundred feet that I mean it just blows you away watching this guy play. Yeah. Anyway, we got a couple more of uh, questions before we wind this thing up. Um, how does a team as special as this one avoid becoming complacent between now and October? Well, it's good for them that they are fully aware of the importance of home field advantage. So that's really important. I mean, so they're still chasing that and playing hard because they, they got a nice one right now over the Dodgers. They're like seven and a half ahead of the Dodgers now, but they're only, uh, what, four and a half, I think, ahead of the Orioles. So they can't afford to slip up. The last thing you want is to is to just take it easy the rest of the way and lose home field advantage by one game to the Orioles. And then if you happen to make the World Series, and they do too, and all of a sudden Baltimore's got home field advantage in the World Series, and you're going, God damn, if we'd have just won those two games when we rested everybody or we took it, took it easy that day, you know, and. So I, I think they got plenty to play for on top of the individual stuff that, you know, that so many guys are chasing. I mean, Ozuna's next home run is going to give them, what, five guys with uh, 35 uh, more homers? Nobody's ever had that many. Nobody. Yeah, that's They're for the record now. Uh, Olsen's next home run is going to break Andrew's record. He's trying. He's going. He's got a real good chance to lead the majors in home runs and RBIs. And then, obviously, what we just said with uh, Acuna. There's a lot of guys doing a lot. Harris, as hot as he's been, he's got a chance to get up there 20 homers if he keep, if he stays like this. After that terrible start and missing a month. So there's yeah. a lot to play for individually. Um, and they got knocked out at, by the Phillies in the first round last year. Exactly. And Strider, I think more than anything, that, that's, that lesson is the most powerful one you can learn. You know, especially after winning the year before. Yeah. You just yeah. you can't take anything for granted, you know. Even if whoever you're whoever you're about to play against, whatever happened, I think they got that 
message loud and clear that once you hit the postseason, anything can happen, and you have to stay locked in. Yeah, you got to keep the 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 pedal mash to the floor, man. And never yeah. mind that you won the division. You can't you can't just lollygag it and get your starters in order and take it easy and rest guys, and then flip a switch and expect to come out and be back at the same form you were when you have to play the Brewers or the Phillies in the first round, and they've just gone through a hard-fought first. Your advantage is they're going to have to use their good starters to get through that wild-card series. Yeah. But they're also going to have that edge. They're not going to slow down at all, and you're going to have you know some time down, some, so about four games without, four days without games at all. Plus whatever, so that's why I think you have to ma- keep it mashed right through the end of the season, regular season, and then have a couple of maybe high level scrimmages or something. But yeah, you cannot just try to shorten that window as much as possible. Yeah, you can't coast for two weeks for sure. I tell you what, man, that first round series against the Brewers or the Phillies, the Brewers they got to hope that that wild card series goes to the three games because the Brewers three starters right now, that's the best trio in baseball. So you got three guys that are all pitching terrific right now. Yeah. And the Phillies, man, they're tough. I mean, those two that were two of those games were 10 inning wins. I think Phillies just maybe because of last year, but also because of this series and seeing what they do. They're for me the scariest team. It besides obviously the Braves, you know, but I'm talking about teams that you would not want to take for granted or if you could avoid facing in that stadium with that lineup. It's like the teams yeah. that are never out of a game are the teams I hate. Yeah. And Trey Turner is Trey Turner again now, you know, after being yeah. so bad for the first part of the year. He's doing everything now. I mean. Him yeah, and Harper, awful. and they got a grinder like Stott. His at-bats he has always yeah. surprised me. They got some gamers Schwarber. on the team. Um, Schwarber up front. It's just it's kind of a scary lineup. Yeah, Schwerber's got 43 bombs, man. He's got, 40, he's got 43 homers. 12 he's got, singles. <laughs> he's got 60 extra base hits and 45 singles. <laughs> he's got yeah. 192 strikeouts. But yeah, he's got 43 I, bombs. <laughs> He's another guy that I wouldn't bat lead off, but man. he seems to click there. <laughs> He's hit yeah. 198 in the leadoff spot, but he has a 348 OBP. He had it. They yeah, put it up good. yesterday. He had like an 850 OPS or something. His numbers are crazy. They're, they don't make any sense. 823 OPS right now. Um, yeah, I'm looking down their line at their, at their guys. And yeah, they're, they're tough. Yeah, somebody asked. Somebody asked, "Do you want to give the Marlins a couple of wins, let them win?" So maybe you don't have that matchup. No, 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 no. You, when you try to get cute and you don't try to win every game, that will bite you in the ass so fast. You got to go out and try to win every game for the integrity of the sport and the playoff race. But never mind that. You just got to keep trying to win. When you when you try to get cute and you try to, to not go all out or whatever, that just that gets toxic, man. Boy, it's like the baseball gods. Not like you just never, yeah. you never let your guard down in baseball. Yeah, I, I yeah. remember this time, I was walking up the tunnel in uh, in Seattle, and I had a seven and zero record and a two one ERA, and I'd never really let my guard down. But I just remember having this moment walking out to the field that night. We were playing the Orioles, and just pat myself on the back. It's like mid August, 
and I've got 50 innings or so. And I'm like, buddy, you did it. You had your first good major league season. And <laughs> that night I gave up five runs that night. My ERA went from like two, two to, you know, three, one. And then I had the next, well, over the next month, I had two or three more blips like that, where I finished the season with four and a half ERA. And it looked like I just had an okay year and I had a great year, but I learned that lesson. It's like anytime yep. you let your guard down at all in baseball, it just eats you alive. Uh, Hunter says, LA Times, Bill Plaschke put out an article today titled, The Race is Over, The Dodgers Mookie Bats Should Be National League MVP. Care to comment? Come that guy on, sucks. Man. That guy's always just saying when shit. When people get worked up over stuff like that. But but that's he's, he's an LA Times columnist who sees Mookie Bats play every day. So Mookie Bats yeah. does great stuff. You see him play every day. Well, Jeff Schultz could come out today and write this out. Mark Bradley for the AJC could write, The Race is Over. Ronald Acuna should be National League MVP. And people in L.A. are going to look at that and go, Mookie Betts has one more war. What are you talking about? Are yeah. You? They're the columnists in that town, and that's the guy they watch play every day. So to them, and part of being a columnist is you get people talking. You don't you, yeah. you don't just write stuff down the middle. You get people talking. But you're also going to favor the guy you see every day when you see how great he is, you know? So that's yeah, I just feel like every time I hear that guy's name, he's – He's doing something, but it's it's like you said, he's not gonna he's not gonna play it safe and just have everybody be like, hey, oh yeah, a great article on how the MVP race is close. Right, columnists are are paid for, to to get people emotional, up. whether they yeah. hate him or, lo- or hate him or love him, you know. Yeah. But Bill Plasky is damn good. I will say yeah. that. So, <laughs> he is just. I'm on yeah. the other side of it. I'm always. I think he right. said this something a few friends. years this ago about about yeah, the. The Braves field being a shopping mall or something. Yeah. I can't remember what it was, but I'm just like, this guy's yeah. just stirring it up. He's not. Yeah, exactly. He knows it's not over. Yeah, he knows it's not. Absolutely. It's going to be close. It's going to be very close. To me, Acuna's the guy, but I also understand why somebody that watches, if voters, uh, you know, that cover the Western team see Mookie play, you know, either 150 times if you, if you cover the Dodgers or you know, 15 times if you cover one of the Western teams. I can understand if you see him play all the time. You might think he just does so much. But I think uh, just what Acuna's doing is is I don't think we're ever going to see, maybe not even Ronald, do this again because I don't know that he's always going to run this much as he gets older. And I also don't know that he's always going to stay this hot at the plate as he's been and hit 335 with that much power and play every day. I mean, that's just crazy what he's doing this season he's having. Yeah, and the biggest change for me is the reason that I think he can keep it up. The biggest change for me is is that bats are so much better now. Oh, yeah. When when he first got called up, he would give away some at bats. There was ways to pitch him. He'd go up there with a predetermined plan, whether he was pulling the ball. He's been taking what the pitchers give him. And he's he's three home runs away from a 40-40 season. And he's still willing to slap singles to right when he needs to. I mean, it just the maturity showed in the box this year is it's a crazy jump for him in a short amount of time. Yeah, I, 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 as far as health, I'm not necessarily talking about big injuries. I'm talking about the little nagging stuff that usually keeps him and other players like that that are that fast and that explosive. Like, for instance, all the head first sliding. He slid head first 100 times this year, at least. Yeah. And yeah. he hasn't had anything like a, a contusion, a, a, a fingers. He wears the oven mitten now. 
but he hasn't had an elbow or anything from sliding and jamming it in the base, which is so easy to do because he slides head first all the time. He hasn't yeah. had anything go wrong like that. Knock on wood. And I did. Yeah. You know, but like like you're saying, it's just not realistic for that to happen every season. I mean, right. there's always something. Yeah. Like the hamstring he had that the last week of the season, the year that he would have got 40, 40. Yep. He couldn't run anymore. We knew he wouldn't be able to run that last trip of the year, even though he went on the trip. We knew he wasn't going to run because of the hamstring. So, but he hasn't had any hamstring strains this year. So, yeah. anyway, has the AA's contract been renewed yet, or do you have an idea when they plan to? Well, it's signed, signed through uh, uh, 2024. So, I wouldn't expect that to happen until the offseason or, or next year, you know, early on. Because he's talking to them all the time. He knows that they, they're not, I mean, they want him. He loves it here. He loves yeah. it here. Yeah. Uh, now, if the Red Sox or a team like the Red Sox come in and, you know, he's under contract right now, but if he, but if he, somebody offers him twice his salary, you know, then, then the Braves are going to have to ante up probably to keep him to a long-term deal. But they, you know what his salary absolutely, is? they absolutely need to pay what it takes to keep yeah. that guy here. Whatever it takes, you know, you can't really put a dollar like amount pay, on what he's done. They don't pay the top of the free agent market for players. They need to pay the top of the free agent market for front office because it ain't nearly as high as a mediocre player. You know, yeah, I don't and even know what is, a good what does a good GM make. What's like millions, what's a good but it's not like ten million. GM? It's gone up a yeah. lot recently, but it's not like it's not even like a mediocre pitcher starting a good starting pitcher. <laughs> So he's yeah, it's worth, like a number five, like a solid number five. Worth, yeah, he's worth giving him at the t- very top of the pay scale. Absolutely. Yeah. He's the best at what he does, man. He's the best. Yeah. He's the best GM in baseball. I really think that because he's done it with a lesser payroll than the Dodgers have. I know the Rays guy has to be up there. What You know, he's president ops or whatever he's down there because they're consistently great with a really low payroll. So it's hard to argue against him. But some of the moves that Alex has made, some of the bold moves he's made, and his is going to pay off long-term because the Rays don't have eight guys signed to long-term team-friendly deals. The Rays are going to have some bad years. They haven't had it yet, but they're going to have some. The Braves yeah. are sitting where they should not have a bad year for at least the next five, six, seven years. And that's if they don't you know, keep doing what they've been doing and signing young guys, which I, I think they will as long as Alex is here. They're, they're in a better position to be great for a long time than any team in baseball is, period. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be so devastating for the other GMs in the NL East, too. Oh, to just, man. I mean, you you look at normally when you see a team this hot, it, like you saw the Phillies. All right, all their guys are older and they're not under contract. Like, you can right. kind of prey on their downfall and wait for it and bide your time. Right. But when you see this and it's like, oh, the core signed for nine more years. Yep. What yep. are you going to do? Team, the only team that's got a good chance it to, to be compete with them, on, you know, at least on a – uh, sometimes will be the Mets because they have the huge wallet, obviously, of Cohen, who will spend whatever it takes. And now they added a genius president of baseball operation. What a guy that I'm, I'm using the term genius because people say that's his IQ, that he is a genius. Uh, Harvard guy, Stearns from the Brewers, who consistently made them good for a long time with a, with a small payroll. So I think that was it. The, by far and away the best hire they could have made. And it was, and they would have done it a year ago if the Brewers would have let him out of his contract earlier. So he's kind of been sitting on the sidelines waiting, but uh, 
that's kind of scary, not for the Braves because they're going to be great, but for a lot of other teams because uh, the payroll that they're going to, the, the Mets have, are going to have with a guy now that knows how to make moves, not just not just the biggest dollar moves, but moves to make with chemistry involved and the right pieces, and also yeah. to build from within. So, anyway, all right. Well, could have history made in the next few days with Olsen and probably and even with Acuna with uh, three games against the Marlins. Be interested. I think Olsen, since he's played every game so far, I don't see Bre- I don't see unless uh, he has some DH game. You know, but I mean, you played all these games so far. It's kind of a shame not to play all one sixty two if that's what you were set out to do. You know, and Acuna definitely wants to do that. So you at least got. I think every game player game. wants that on their resume. You know, although if he if he gets the pinch hit in a game, he still goes down to play. Yeah. In baseball reference, if he just pins hits in a game, it still goes down as played 162. Yep. So, something to think about. He's already DH one game, so that so he, he won't be able to say he started all 162 in the outfield anyway. Well, so. whatever. <laughs> it's enough. All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the way. 155 is real. We're out.